If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. This is an ode to Napa cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. Hello and welcome to Confessions of a Marketer. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. Today we start a two-part discussion about taking on a new role as a marketing leader. Joining me are Josh Martin and Ose Britt. Josh has been on a few times before talking about product marketing. Ose is here for the first time. Josh Martin is Executive Vice President of Marketing at Decision Lens. His specialty is helping B2B SaaS companies streamline their marketing efforts through improved targeting, unique positioning, and compelling content. He joined Decision Lens in September. I'll say Britt is Vice President of Growth Marketing at Terminus. She is a seasoned B2B marketing leader with a passion for digital marketing and driving demand at high-growth SaaS companies. She joined Terminus in August. Josh and I'll say welcome. Can you both share your backgrounds and how your career path led to your current roles? I'll say, can we start with you? Oh, sure. Well, I have kind of an unconventional career path, I would say. Um, I did not study marketing in school nor business. My undergrad degree was actually in civil engineering. Yeah, so I actually went that route and worked for the Department of Transportation when I started coming out of school in a rotational program. But after a few years of doing that, I realized that it just really wasn't what I saw myself doing for the rest of my career and I wanted to make a pivot. So to do that, I actually went to business school and ended up getting my business and getting my MBA and concentrating in marketing and strategy. So I kind of see that as the second part of my career. And that's where I kind of launched into marketing. And I've worked for a number of organizations from like hospitality, working for Intercontinental Hotels Group, to working for, you know, a dot-com, a business.com. And then I worked for um, for Bloomberg for a number of years. But then I started really focusing on technology and working for SaaS companies. And I really enjoyed that quite a bit, especially working in a high growth company, you know, between that 100 and 200 employee kind of range that's on a, you know, upward trajectory and um, really focusing on B2B. And so I worked for Logi Analytics, and that's actually where Josh and I kind of crossed paths, and we worked right. together for a little while. And now I'm with Terminus, which is a marketing technology company. Great. Josh, you've been on before, but for those listeners who may have not gone back in the archive, can you give me your career story? Sure. I think we're going to disappoint a lot of marketing graduates right now by saying the same thing Ase said, which is <laughs> I don't have a traditional kind of marketing background either. I started my career as an industry analyst, and that's uh, Mark, where you and I crossed paths, yeah, so to speak. Yeah. 
many, many years ago, looking at, you know, emerging markets and writing reports and, you know, slowly over time recognize the importance of, you know, the marketing function to building a pipeline. And uh, as I moved up through organizations, I started doing more and more of the marketing to promote the services and the research that I was developing. So it was developing marketing automation, you know, 15 years ago when it was still a kind of a new ish thing. And then moved into more traditional product marketing roles where I was at Logi and developing, you know, company positioning and messaging. From there, I went over and started leading product marketing at a company formerly known as Perfect Sense, now known as Brightspot. And when leadership changed on the marketing team, I took over responsibility for the entire marketing organization that led, you know, that team for a year and a half. And we were very fortunate that we landed several, you know, very large customers big name organizations that helped to fundamentally drive the business forward. And then a few months ago, I was looking for, you know, the next opportunity. And I, I don't want to, you know, get too far ahead of ourselves, because I know we're going to talk about how we found these opportunities in a little bit, but wound up discovering Decision Lens, taking the opportunity to join. And I'm actually looking more and more on the B2G space now, which is fairly new for me, but certainly an opportunity to learn and grow in a way that I hadn't previously. Yeah. It's always interesting as part of this podcast to hear everyone's career story because there's no one way to become a marketing leader. It takes all all different paths. It's really fascinating. So let's start with a discussion about what it was like onboarding during COVID. I don't know whether you've heard, but there is a pandemic. <laughs> what were the challenges? What worked well? And what, if anything, would you do differently? Josh, you want to start? Yeah, I would say the nicest part, if there can be a nice part about the situation, is that everyone's on even footing. So I think it would be harder being a remote employee in a non-pandemic environment if the company mm -hmm. wasn't fully remote or fully supportive of being remote. So it's been nice because as a small company, you know, we're less than 100 employees. They do have a very robust onboarding session. So each department has a series of material that you go through and a series of meetings that you attend and to learn the product and learn the company and you know, they've engaged uh, with random coffee, which I think some other companies do too, to you know facilitate non-work related conversations with your coworkers. So in that way, it's been better than I expected, right? I didn't walk into a situation not knowing anything, having to figure everything out for myself. And because everyone else is remote, everyone's had to make the same level of effort to communicate with each other. I think it's going to be harder for people that are going to remain remote after the pandemic when people are back in the office, right? So I had a, a team team member that is in the UK. And when we're all back in the office, it's going to be harder because we're all going to be in a room talking about things and she's going to be on the phone and, and that's fine. And we'll do our best to support that. But I think the reality is it just changes the dynamic pretty dramatically. But you know, overall, everyone's been communicative. We use teams to talk to each other regularly. We have ongoing meetings and we use a lot of video chat, which I think there are pros and cons of. But I've gone only into the office one day, and there was a total of two other people in the office that day. So it was nice to meet them in person. But other than that, it's been fully remote. There is the tyranny of the video call, isn't there? Mm -hmm. I mean, it can cause a lot of stress and fatigue. Tell me about your onboarding. Yeah. The interesting thing is I think not only on the onboarding, but just in the interviewing process too, gone through it through phone calls and video calls and, and trying to make such an important decision of joining a company and doing it without meeting people in person was 
different for me, for sure. Because even if you are a full-time remote person, they do tend to fly you in when you're in those final rounds and getting a real feel, you know, for the people and the organization and the culture. So trying to, you know, pick that up when you're going through the, even the interviewing process, I think was an interesting process for me personally. But in terms of onboarding, I was very impressed with the onboarding process at Terminus. Like I mentioned, I've worked for a number of different companies. And typically when you get onboarded, you have this orient, it's more of an orientation than an onboarding. And sometimes it could be a couple hours with, you know, HR, half a day, or maybe a full day. But at Terminus, I went through a full five-day onboarding process, and I was in an onboarding class along with about five other people that we kind of went through it together. And depending on what your role is in the organization, it kind of dictates how long the onboarding process is. So for some folks, it was only three days if they were more in a support function like HR or finance. But if you were like in marketing and sales, it was a full five-day process. Yeah. But I was very impressed. I mean, for the size of company that Terminus is, we have like three full-time people in enablement. And that enablement is not just for onboarding new employees. It's also, you know, for sales enablement. But they really invest a lot into making sure that people kind of get started on the right foot with understanding the product, understanding the company, the culture, the competitive environment that you're in and the customers. So I felt like it was actually a very good onboarding process. Full-time Zoom. So we were on video calls most (laughs) of the day. But they did try to do some fun activities as well. We had like a trivia kind of session and trying to just to get to know each other a little bit better. So they tried to kind of sprinkle in some fun along with it. Yeah, I think it's challenging starting a new job in normal times, but probably extraordinarily challenging in this age of COVID. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in the specific training your companies offered and how helpful was it? I'll say, can you pick that up? Yeah, sure. So we had a number of sessions. One, we went deep into the product and had folks like product owners kind of walk us through demos of the different aspects, you know, of the product. We also had to learn the sales pitch and go through that, you know, deck that the salespeople use for prospects. And we actually had to deliver one, an elevator pitch after a couple of days of how we would, our understanding of what the company does and how we would describe it to somebody, you know, in a brief session. And then we, even actually, though you're not going to be in an elevator with anybody <laughs> anytime uh, soon, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's kind of a funny metaphor these days. And then I'll take the stairs. How about the stair pitch? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> as, and then, then for some of us who went through the full five days, we actually had to present what we call our call one deck, which is the deck that you present, that sales presents on that first, you know, discovery call. So that was a great experience because even though I'm in marketing, I won't ever be presenting this deck. It actually really makes you kind of, you really have to fully understand like the company's messaging and positioning and enough about the product that you could explain it to somebody. So I think those exercises were very helpful And then there was just some other, you know, training that we had to do in our off hours, like that we were not meeting together. That was homework that Mm -hmm. we had to watch videos. We had to take quizzes, all that kind of stuff. So it it was pretty robust. Yeah. Josh? 
Yeah, I think overall, you know, we didn't have quite as the level of intensity in terms of onboarding as as I'll say did, but there were some pros and cons. So I don't want everything to seem like it's perfect and amazing because I think that's an unrealistic expectation. But, you know, I think the company had a lot of good pieces together by giving us insight into the various departments. But for me, you know, one of these things that happens is, you know, companies will do training, right? And for us, Decision Lens is an easy to use platform, but it's not, I mean, it's made for decisions, right? And for prioritization and for a variety of use cases, but they're not consumer use cases, right? So you don't just sit down and download the program and be like, okay, I'm ready to dig in. And the timing of my start date and the timing of our kind of training that we do for our clients was within one day of each other. So, you know, the notion was just go and join that training. And it was very intense and it was very deep and very insightful. And I think if I had done it a month later, it would have been 10 times more useful. So I think sometimes there's an idea that because something is happening and the timing aligns, that it's the right time to do it. And I don't know if that's the case always. You know, we've had subsequent sessions with the SE team where they're going through each of the use cases in you know extreme detail. And it's much, much, much more valuable to me now, having gone through a few months of being on the job, learning the product, understanding our positioning to really absorb it. And I don't think that's always the case, right? I think there are some products that are probably you know, you can sit down and, and use and figure it out. But there's just a lot of nuance to our platform that I think I lost out on. And, you know, not having learned my lesson, I have someone onboarding right now. And it's the same situation, right? Next week, there's going to be a training and she's been asked to attend. And I said she should go. Although now I'm rethinking and reconsidering whether we should push it back a month so she can actually get value from it. So I think there's a balance between How much do you want to give somebody at the outset when, sure, you can reiterate things that you hear versus how do you pay that off long term to actually take it internally and know what it means for the company and for the for the customer? Right. And everybody always jokes about, you know, drinking from the fire hose and, you know, you want to learn as much as you can, as fast as you can. But as often, you know, instead of drinking from the fire hose, the fire hose knocks you over. Right. And you don't really absorb anything. Yeah. And as I've gotten older and moved to more of these online sessions, like there's only so much you can take in because I don't know if you feel this way, I'll say, but like, as soon as I hear something, I start thinking about the application to me in marketing Mm -hmm. capacity. So then my brain starts wandering like, okay, oh, well, that's a really cool feature. I wonder if we've Mm. done this, 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 and this. I wonder if we can build this campaign. And next thing you know, it's 10 minutes later (laughs) and you're trying to catch back up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes you just don't have the context yet either. And you don't get that until you've been with the organization, at least for a little while. Um, So I think sometimes that's, you do get a lot of information at once when you get onboarded, but you're not quite sure how to connect the dots or how it applies just yet. And I think every company suffers the same challenge, right? Because once you get busy working, you're too busy working to continue learning. And that's always Mm -hmm. the fear of like, well, we're going to protect the first two weeks of your time. And this is universal, right? It happened when I was at Bright spot. It happened at Logi, you know, not for as much time. It happened at um, Decision Lens. And there's this notion like once you are, you know, allowed to enter the organization, you become unavailable for training and learning. And I think, you know, fundamentally, companies need to probably approach that a little bit differently because, to Asse's point about absorbing the information, like you get to a point where you're just full. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. COVID 19 patients need your help. If you fully recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T.org. 
help save lives and schedule your appointment at Vitalant.org. You could help save lives. I onboarded a couple of clients this year during the pandemic, and I felt that the best part of kind of onboarding and getting to know a client was I didn't have to remember anyone's names because they were there on the Zoom call or the Teams call. So you couldn't, you know, you weren't face to face with someone saying, oh, what's that person's name? Because it was right in front of you. (laughs) So, you know, these are extraordinary times making a transition in this period of, you know, eight, nine months, whatever it's been, it feels like about 10 years. What did you do to prepare to move from one role to the current role? Josh? I think for me, at least, and and my guess is I'll say, we'll say something similar about kind of the environment that we're dealing with. But for companies that are in the B2B space that are focused on digital transformation, and I use that term extremely Mm -hmm. loosely because a lot of people use that term to mean a lot of things. But you know, the way I'll define it as a company that's helping you take what was formerly either a manual or a face-to-face process and putting it on the computer, putting it on the internet, making it easier to understand and consume, have fared fairly well relative to a lot of other industries. And we've been very fortunate in the Northern Virginia area, where Asa and I are both based, where a lot of these companies that exist are supporting the federal government, are supporting B2B businesses with these transformation approaches. So you know, for me, it was fortunate to be asked to join a company that wasn't struggling, right? The goal wasn't come in and save as much money as you can save and figure out how we can make the most with the least. And we have a great solution. We have a great product. We have a great customer base and we're growing that customer base, but we need to find a way to amplify our efforts and turn things into a process that is a repeatable so that we can build a long-term sustainable pipeline. So that was important to me when I was evaluating opportunities, and it was great to walk into a situation like that. I think if the alternative had been presented, it would have been a lot harder. So for me to prepare, it was really the typical things that you would do, right? You learn about the company, you learn about the buyer, you learn about the product. Although, you know, the one thing I've learned as I've kind of gone through job to job and moved to more senior positions is sometimes it's really hard to get the knowledge from the outside that you need for it to be relevant and useful. So I don't think you should ever go cold into a job and not know anything, but -hmm. there's a certain point where there's diminishing returns on the research that you conduct and the information that you gather, because similar to the onboarding example that we just gave, you just get to a point where either it makes sense or it doesn't make sense relative to the performance of your company. And I learned so many new things about who we are and what we do and why we do it that way that as an outsider, I never could have learned. And I would have just burned a ton of cycles trying to get smart about the organization before learning the organization. Yeah, good point. I'll say. For me, I uh, actually was a Terminus customer prior to joining the company. So I already had an idea of the product. But what I realized when I joined was that Terminus has done a series of acquisitions in the last year and has added so much more functionality and capabilities into its product that I just wasn't aware of. So I came in with a pretty good kind of foundation being a former customer and knowing the product, which kind of helped. So for me, it was more getting my arms around all the other capabilities that I wasn't aware of to get up to speed. And beyond that, the way I prepared was really just looking at the market itself and the competitive set. And just trying to get as much information as I could about the company's, you know, positioning and how it compared 
to some of its competitors. But to Josh's point, you don't really kind of understand some of the inner workings and the challenges that the company is facing until you kind of get on the inside and kind of understand like how you fit in and how you're going to, you know, help with the growth aspect and the expectations. I will say, similar to Josh's point, because we're both working for, you know, B2B technology type companies through this pandemic, those are the ones that have actually fared pretty well. So Terminus is having, you know, they've had a pretty strong year so far. So we are definitely in growth mode as we enter into 2021. So if anything, we're just more on an upward trajectory of, you know, how do we scale, which is like what we're kind of looking at now is how do we kind of kind of propel that growth going into next year. So we've been pretty fortunate in that respect. You know, we're not contracting, but we're actually growing. Yeah. Something occurred to me just now as you were saying that, that I want to ask you both before we close out part one, and that's what is your biggest marketing challenge? Is it what you were just describing us saying? Yeah, it's, you know, how do we continue with the growth that we're, you know, that we are creating and it's just going, the expectations are just getting higher, I would say, as we go into next year. And can we kind of keep up with that and push that forward? And I think my biggest challenge is we're getting more budget. So from a marketing budget perspective, that's great. But again, it comes down to the execution and the resources of do we have the people that's actually going to help us kind of execute on it. That's where I kind of see where the bigger bottlenecks are from my end. And that just takes a little bit longer, you know, to scale and get the right people in the right roles. Yeah. Josh, what do you think? Yeah, for us and for me, I think it's interesting development time for the company at Decision Lens because they're in one of these positions where, you know, we've all, I think, been there before where a company has, you know, grown with the success of just, you know, hand-to-hand combat from the sales team, right? They've just gone out and just done it. They built a business. The founders have just found ways to scrape and claw and build, you know, a a multi-million dollar organization. And it gets to a point where, and that number is usually like, what, 30 million-ish dollars, depending on the size of your organization, where at that point, you need to decide either you want to scale or you're happy being a, you know, 20 to $40 million company. And I've, you know, been at other places where they've had that happen too. And the company made the decision that the time is ripe for trying to invest in building the company to become larger and larger and larger. And I think that presents an interesting opportunity because the company was never marketing led. So the real challenge for me is how do I reestablish or establish for the first time that marketing isn't just the pretty PowerPoint people? And, you know, I was joking the other day that anytime I see an email that says marketing magic request on it, it just makes me want to, my stomach churns. And I've had to be the bad guy in a lot of times just to go back and say, like, you know, we have a design team. And and even though marketing has done this historically, like we're not doing it anymore. Like if you want it done right and you want it to be great, you need to have the design team do it because that's their expertise. Like I can make it not look bad, but I can't make it look good. And when we're out there talking to senior levels of, you know, the federal government, the DOD, Fed civilian agencies, we want to put our best foot forward. And that's just one small example, but building pipeline, establishing processes for supporting nurture, building content, like we are we are really at ground zero because the marketing function was really sales enablement historically. And for yeah. me, I, I love it because, you know, we get to go in and be heroes by doing something that maybe is small incrementally, but will build. So it gives us a little bit of air cover to say like, okay, well, this month we got 10 leads and they're really good and they're interested in a demo versus why did you only get 10, 
right? I don't need to go in and generate a hundred leads or a thousand leads or replace a hundred leads that we lost because, you know, whatever happened, the marketing fell off a cliff. We are really at ground zero. And the biggest challenge is how do you develop processes, get people to buy in and then execute them and maintain that over time? Because it's easy to say, we're not going to do this or we're going to do that once. It's really hard to say that and do that a hundred times. Right, right. It's interesting. You're on a journey and what you thought were the challenges probably back in you know August or July when you were contemplating this change are probably not the challenges you're facing now. Yeah. One of the most interesting that I would say I've dealt with is different skill sets. So when I left Brightspot, I had a guy I worked with. His name was Jason Keller, who was just amazing at Salesforce and amazing at marketing ops. And you know anything I could imagine and ask for, he could do. And I could I have a pretty good imagination. So, you know, mm-hmm. hey, let's automate this or let's change this form to do that, anything. And I'll say no, Jason, because he worked mm-hmm. with us at, at Logi. Our world in Northern Virginia, B2B tech is very small. <laughs> but he was amazing. And But I didn't have a product marketer on my team. And I had a campaign person who started a few months before I left. And now I'm joining a team with, you know, a marketing ops person who is super eager, is very hardworking, is extremely dedicated to becoming excellent at the position, but is, you know, at a different point in her career than Jason was, right? Jason was excellent Mm -hmm. and he was accomplished over many, many, many years. So I have to figure out how to work within the confines of, yeah, it's not going to, it's not going to be a 15 minute turnaround. It might be a day. It might be two. We might have to work together to figure out how to, you know, innovatively solve a problem that I didn't even have to give a second thought to. The converse of that is I also have a product marketing person who can do a lot of the work that I was you know, doing as a second job relative to being the VP of marketing at Brightspot because it's really, really an important role. And we just hired like a content marketing person. So it's the challenges are kind of the same. You know, how do you automate? How do you generate leads? How do you do all the things? But the pieces that are supporting it are different. And therefore, you know, you have to flex and be responsive and adaptive in, in a way that's unexpected. And I think that's kind of the most unexpected thing for me is how do you take advantage of the people that you have to the best of their abilities and give them the opportunity to become excellent at the things that they want to be excellent at? And some of that requires a level of patience, which I am every day working to maintain. All right. That does it for this week. Thanks for listening. All right, thanks, I'm Mark Josh, Reed Edwards, executive will producer, be back writer, next time with part two of this discussion. Shep Salau is my producer, helping put together the shows every week. Annalyn Timball is my assistant, and she helps with guest relations and getting everything scheduled just right. Thanks, Sheb and Annalyn. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. Stay healthy, and see you next time.